The Edifice Complex podcast is brought to you by DCM, the drawing specialists, Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software, and Sensor Suite, the future of intelligent buildings. Welcome to the Edifice Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work, perspective on the adjacent possible, and challenges to the status quo. Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I'm Robert Bean, your co-host and unofficial mediator, here with my colleague and official agitator, friend and Yoda of most everything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton. Say hello, sir, Yoda. Hello, Yoda. So, here we are, international. We're on lockdown, yet we're international. I love technology, right? (laughs) That's great. We're flying halfway around the world here today, so looking forward to this one. There's commissioning, and then there's commissioning. (laughs) And our guest today is head of asset requirements and commissioning at the Copenhagen Airport and owner of CX Planner, which is a browser-based commissioning management tool. Before joining the uh, Copenhagen Airport, he worked at a number of consulting engineering firms, working with some pretty impressive clients, Novo Nordics, Moller Marks, Nordia, and Metro City Rangan. So welcome to the show, Thomas Tolfgaard Jarlu. Thank you. So far, we haven't butchered too much of the Danish language. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we will. <laughs> we will. <laughs> we will. Thomas, you graduated from Copenhagen School of Science and Technology with a degree in Energy Technology and Commissioning Processes. You also spent some time at Madison, Wisconsin University, again, in Commissioning Processes. And I got to tell you, global air transportation systems are under attack right now by this pandemic, and that makes you one of the unique players in the world in this uh, crazy game of life that we're in. Tell our guests how you managed to find yourself at an airport in one of the most envious countries of the world. Adam and I both love Denmark. You're there, and you're making that airport work in really tough times. Tell us about that. How'd you get there? How did they get to the airport? <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> Down the road, do a left. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 50 I, I came to the, the airport. <laughs> Five years ago, I found the airport in Denmark. Yeah, they found commissioning, and me was the starting for commissioning at Copenhagen Airport. They contacted me and said, Thomas, we would like some commissioning. And I said, that's a great idea. And I arrived at the airport and then said, what kind of commissioning do you want? And then say, well, commissioning sounds smart, but we don't know how to. And that was the starting of commissioning at the airport. And now, five years later, we have a commissioning team and performing commissioning on all our large capacity projects. Well, at the time, there's not so many projects, more handling and maintaining our assets due to the coronavirus. All right, wow. so we'll talk about that. But how did they find you? How did they identify yeah. you as a commissioning expert in Denmark? I worked at a consulting engineering firm before where I was a commissioning consultant, being commissioning a leader on, on various projects and also being a commissioning specialist performing some of the individual commissioning tasks. Yeah. I have a wiki about commissioning. I like to talk about commissioning. I write about commissioning in Danish mostly. Um, in that way they found me I fit the profile because I like to rethink how you do the commissioning we have our standards and and, and normal methods but each individual owner has different processes and needs a different way to implement the commissioning process so it was also a a match between 
a large company with many internal processes and many established ways to do things. And they wanted to do commissioning. But you cannot just take a standard and say, we do it like this standard, when you have this whole organization behind. So it's like matching the standard with the existing organization. That thinking and merging is one of my specialities. Mm, interesting. So coming out of high school, and again, I'm not familiar with the educational systems in Denmark, as we are familiar in our own countries, but you know, you get to be 17, 18 years of age, and then you're looking at your whole life ahead of you. You're standing there on the shores of Denmark, staring at the windmill, thinking, what do I want to do with my life? <laughs> what went through your mind at that time? Many things and nothing at the same time, I think, <laughs> back then. <laughs> it allowed yeah. to be uh, my grandfather. He's always been working with electricity and developing new products. So something will electricity and, and, and that kind has always been in my mind. So I started uh, at a, becoming an electrician, a normal electrician who's working at, at normal housing and then also doing a lot of industrial work at large construction sites and, and at large companies. And it was during that time that I love to be an ele- electrician, but it's only you supply the power. And after that, you don't do anything more. But someone has to take the power, use it for something. You have a ventilation plant. You deliver the power to the ventilation plant and someone handles the ventilation. I was just missing something behind the power supply. So like the integrations, it was during my time finding that these integrations, there was something special about them. So many parties included. And if one part in this integration failed and didn't do the work correctly, everything would fail. So during my time as an electrician, I just knew I had to get some more about the integrations. So that was actually why I started at Copenhagen School of Design and Technology to becoming an uh, energy technologist. An energy technologist is an education about all installations which uses energy in some kind of way. So cooling system, heating systems, all that kind. And it was during that education that I found commissioning or commissioning found me. I heard it one day from one of our teachers. He said commissioning something, something. And in Danish... Commission is not a, a normal word. So I couldn't pronounce it. I couldn't spell it. So I just, I just knew back then I need to know more about this. So, and that was, I think, eight, nine years ago. And then commissioning has been with me ever since. Wow. That's a good journey from electrician to technologist to commissioning supremo at the airport, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess one of the nice things about that story is... Having some background, hands-on experience, field experience, and then going to school, which then, of course, broadens your understanding of what you learned in the previous years, and now you're applying that. And I think, Adam, both you and I, you know, value that. I know when we were hiring engineers out of school, when we had our consulting business, is that we always placed a high value on any of the students coming out of the universities that had hands-on experience, always. And in fact, if we could find somebody that actually had a trade background and then went to get a degree, they were always way more valuable than the person that first came out of university with no hands-on experience. Academics gets you so far, you know, and you might end up at the same place, but an academic that gets out and gets screamed at by a client for a couple of years (laughs) 
is different than an academic that hides amongst the walls of the university. They're two different people, right? So you've built up a nice background for your position where you are today, for sure. Uh, and I also say that, that normally in commissioning, especially my own commissioning team, when we're hiring and looking at people to do the commissioning, we also look if they have some, some construction background, have been working with the hands, have tried to been working with a contractor, been on the other side of the table, so they know the trouble they, they're going to be in that after. <laughs> Adam, you're, you're a commissioning guy too. I mean, yeah, I, I sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes I call my job description could be summarized as consequences. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm arriving at your job and I'm having a bad day, it's normally bad for a lot more people around me. <laughs> <laughs> is there a parable about kick the cat that goes along that lines that, you know, that somebody's at work and they get screamed at and then they scream at their everybody below them and then they finally, the last person to leave home comes home and then kicks the cat. It all started in the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So if you're a young person listening to this, there's a great lesson to take away here, and that is you can change course, right? Your career is a journey. You can zig and zag and zig and zag and still wind up in a great place, right? So, you know, you start off as an electrician, and that's what my son is trying to be, and that's a great job here, mm. I presume, in Denmark, right? And there's nothing wrong with carrying on with that but as you say you saw there's more right you go down that path you see oh this connects to this this and i wonder what's going on there and you zag into energy then you zag into commissioning right that's a good takeaway you know if you're still not sure what you want to do trust your instincts no one knows what they really want to do right you wind up going where the river takes you right the trick is do you maximize and make the most of it or just let it just sit there in a coma, right? That's the difference, right? <laughs> so, you know, there's, that's a great life lesson there. But going back to Denmark, so what fascinated me about you and how I, why I started stalking you like a crazy ex-girlfriend online was because, one, you've written a book, <laughs> and we'll talk about that later, but two, I've been lucky enough to work in 21 countries, and that's dumb luck, by the way. That wasn't by design. <laughs> But what fascinates me is every single one has a different understanding and takeaway on commissioning, right? I've never worked in Denmark. So in, say, the UK where I started, commissioning was something you accidentally tripped up and fell into, right? (laughs) So what's it like? Is there a path in Denmark? It's an easy transition into commissioning or is it a bit of a renegade out there sort of not understood thing? It's becoming and nor normal. It has been the thing that no one, except the commission guys, wants to touch because what is this kind of commissioning? It's just yeah. more money to some guys uh, running around and, and, and testing things. It's becoming accepted now. We can see that we have Danish standard for commissioning. It was developed back in 2014, so it's quite old now, but, but, but it's still going strong and it's being activated on various projects. And the sustainability certifications like DGNB, LEED, BRIAM, also enables commissioning. So with a higher focus on sustainability and people want to have sustainability certifications, they need to use commissioning. So commissioning is getting more acceptable. And I also think that a lot of professional owners, you, you have new, new owners who is just building one house and then it's done. And then you have the professional developers who is building a lot of constructions. When you have done one construction, 
you know all the troubles you're getting yes. in afterwards, and especially yeah. if you're going to handle the O&M also. So they are looking for, for some tools to, to get fewer faults and, and an easier way from project to operation. So they are enabling commissioning. So commissioning is getting more acceptable. And then yeah, Copenhagen Airport, as an owner, has the internal commissioning department. Region Ho, one of the large government departments, does also have their own commissioning department. All of our consulting houses do also have commissioning departments. So it's getting more normal now. Right. That's interesting that a big sort of asset owner like Copenhagen Airport have that because for me, that's one of the real values. So in North American terminology, you're doing what we would call continuous commissioning, right? You're refining, optimizing, refining, optimizing, and trying to get the efficiencies sort of like hardwired into the systems and also as uses change in different parts of the airports, you're dealing with that, right? So that is a sort of life cycle asset function, yeah. if you like. So if you like. Some, some kind of like that, yeah. In my department at the airport, I have the tactical asset managers. So they are setting the requirements for all our assets, buildings and ventilation, coolings, everything. And, and then I have the commissioning team. So we are setting the owner's project requirements, and then the commissioning team is verifying the requirements during the project. But we do still own the assets even after the project because our asset managers, they need to do the reinvestments. So we have this continuous from cradle to cradle for our assets. That's interesting. Adam, are you surprised that Denmark and the airport in particular, I mean, six years or five years, I guess, or six years, it seems like almost it's new to the country, even though the country is well known for engineering capabilities and quality products. Seems to me something like that would have been a part of the engineering culture for 50 years, 60 years. But Tom, you're not saying that the Danes are so good at their engineering and the trades are so good at assembly. Commissioning wasn't an issue back then. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no comments, but, but, but <laughs> well, it, it depends who, who you're asking. Of course, we have some individuals who has been doing commissioning for, for ages, but yeah. it's around 10 years ago when the commissioning, the word began to establish in the building industry. From that and on, it has, it has become more, more normal. I think seven years ago, commissioning was not just uh, some guys running around and being police. Now it's normal. Now it's acceptable. And people, they know they need commissioning. I have a sort of working theory that, so, for example, in the, let's call them the Anglo countries, like America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, UK, right? The contracting environment there is very adversarial. There's clear delineation between like, okay, I've designed it. Now you build it. There's a hard line between them, right? And my theory in this culture is that commissioning has emerged as a response to the design and construction teams not being able to deliver buildings that work very well. That's a hill I'd die on because there's no commissioning in laptops or cars, right? You know why? Because them things work perfectly when they come out of the box. Your building does not. So I've always been constantly amazed I've not been made redundant by technology because, you know, you pay hundreds of millions of dollars for an airport, you expect it to work perfectly, right? Why not? It doesn't say in the documents... There'll be an airport, I'm okay with 10,000 defects. I've never read that in any construction <laughs> document anywhere, right? So 
In Europe, though, when I worked, in, I've worked in Switzerland and Spain and a few places. I find it's less adversarial in my past, and this I haven't worked in Europe for a long time now, right? But it was less adversarial between the design and construction teams. There was a lot more overlap. There was a lot more responsibility by the design team into the construction process and beyond. Is that what it's like in Denmark? Yeah, normally when the designer have made the design, they do follow in in the construction phase. They do right. side visits and 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 keep participating in the project. There's a more overlap, and they're throughout the project and also in in the final inspection. So yeah, regarding the cars and and commissioning of of them, also think that at construction normally it's different every time. It's not the oh. same. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so somehow the constructions are the same, but but all the technology uh, at this room we want to uh, twenty two degrees and this regulation. There's a lot of different things each time at each construction site. The edifice complex will continue in just a moment. Can you find the drawing and supporting documents you need in less than a minute? Now you can with Echo. It's simple. Just type what you're looking for and press enter. Echo knows your building. Speak with a drawing specialist today. Ask about our special offer of painless onboarding plus six months free with Echo. Visit podcast.thedsoffer.com. That's podcast.thedsoffer.com. And now back to the show. I did a master's degree in project management. I had a two-year argument with my professor, which obviously I lost because I wanted to graduate. But <laughs> you he, gave up that one, did you? Yeah, he said <laughs> there is no reason why a building cannot be like a car and have zero defects, right? The, the reason it doesn't happen, there's no consequences and no one really asks for it, right? So my pushback was yours. Oh, everything's different because this is what I've been indoctrinated with. Everything's different, every job's different. And his answer to that was so, Adam, every toilet that ever was installed in every building is different, correct? Every door that was ever stalled is different, correct? No. <laughs> so he was right. What he's basically saying is the R&D spend in construction is vanishingly small. It's a half a percent, quarter of a percent, if you research it worldwide, right? In fact, the construction industry outsources its R&D to manufacturers, which is great. But what you get is manufacturers turn you what they want you to do <laughs> and not necessarily yeah. working with... Yeah something else and something else, right? So as you rightly point out, commissioning is also an integration tool, right? It's a quality check. I hate that because it implies a contractor does it. He shouldn't, right? But it's also an integration thing because what you're saying is even with the best design and construction team in the world, these things are not necessarily been put together before and they need to be tested, right? So there's that, right? But I have sympathy for every building's different, but... If I sit back and think about it, I do actually find myself agreeing with my professor, and I think that's just an excuse. That's like me saying, I want a six-pack, but this one-pack's awesome because I don't want to leave my sofa. (laughs) 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 Anyway, that's my trigger over. Before the show started, we talked about Danfoss, and, you know, one of the reasons why Danfoss acquired our company is because we were engineering and building substations for district energy systems. And on a small scale, you know, it, it was all about all the engineering, all of the fabrication. 
and then commissioning each of those devices in the plant. You know, yeah. so once we had the flow, temperature, pressures, power requirements from the engineers, and then we could build that. And then within the facility, we would test it before it got shipped out. Now, why I'm telling you the story is that before we got into the substation manufacturing, we were a distributor selling components and we would ship out whatever, whatever Danfoss made all over everywhere. And we would always get calls back, like calls from, you know, why does the wire smell like this? <laughs> Because somebody burnt the crap out of it, you know? Or, you know, what, how come we can't get this to do this, you know? And we would go through this, you know, if-then statements, like a commissioning process, if this, then. And we always had problems with when we sent out components. But when we prefabricated the stuff within the facility, we would ship out these systems, substations, that were way more complex, far more sophisticated, had way more instrumentation on it, and we never heard back from them, you know? So we would sell a thermostat, we would call it a boomerang because we would get it back. We would sell a substation, we called it a stick. Because once we threw it out, we never heard from it again, you know? So, and we know that in prefabricated buildings, and Adam, you and I have talked about this before, that it's possible, you know, to produce architecture that has the characteristics of automobile manufacturing, and, and it is possible. But it's a culture, and it's a worldwide culture of still building things on site and that will always be a problem for us if we don't get that resolved we'll never be able to deliver the cars the computers i was reading stories on some of the cruise ships that they were the largest cruise ship in the world only took two years to build well you look at a 34-story high-rise building also takes two years to build you take a 17,000 square foot custom home also takes two years to build but boeing produces a 747 and under, I think it's under six weeks or six months. So it's some crazy number, right? So it's just the processes that we use in the culture. Ultimately, I think that's what it comes down to. But is there a movement to modularization in Denmark? Are there any sort of like modular construction practices emerging? I don't think we have any movement, but of course there are some projects with it. I don't know. It started off in the UK with modularized mechanical rooms or plant rooms. And electrical rooms and then they started okay well if i'm building a high rise i can stack all the bathrooms and then they modularize yeah. them and just stack them right that is how you increase quality reduce time win 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 right but you need repetition yeah we're building a new hotel at the airport yeah all the passengers that you don't have right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but that hotel is is built like bathroom 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 yeah. so it is modular. Yeah. And to be fair, building type like residential or high-rise residential, high-rise hotels lend themselves to that, right? Yeah. The best uh, job I ever did my career was JFK Airport in New York. To say that was a learning curve was an understatement. <laughs> and it was great. It was a massive job, but unique, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just a massive empty shell, and then it's a massive fit-out project. And everything's like 10 miles long, 8 miles wide, you know, there's all that. But... You know, it still got done in three years. So could have built an ocean liner, I guess, or 20 jumbo jets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Tom, it's interesting because, you know, Denmark has made some pretty bold stands on decarbonization in the country, but really aggressive targets. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit and then also talk about how that fits in with the airport and its long-term 
energy needs, when there's you know going to be no or less supply of hydrocarbons for fuel. The airport is actually in front of being a sustainable airport. We're looking into uh, some kind of biofuel for the planes instead of the normal fuel, reusable stuff. I, I don't know the details. And we're going also for zero carbonized airport. One of my sister departments is an energy department. So it's, it's a department with, I think there are uh, 10 employees, only focusing on energy, energy optimization, energy in projects, solar panels, reusing energy all around, monitoring the energy usage. So the airport is looking very much into the energy usage and our sustainable footprint. Does the airport have its own energy plant and are you exporting that energy to other parts of the community around the airport or are you actually pulling off a subsystem already or, or a district energy system now or it could be cogen, I guess, trigen? We don't have our own systems yet. But with the solar panels we're setting up, I think that in, in the future, we will have enough also to supply the community around. I can't think of a larger area available for solar gains than the services of an airport. Yeah, there are some troubles in putting the solar panels at the airfield, but some reflection yeah. and maintenance. Oh, right. And yeah, sure. yeah. yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, if, yeah, you need a certain type of material that's non-reflective in a way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like all, all the buildings around do also have to, some specific reflection and glare specifications to be there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, airports really do lend themselves to district heating, right? And I think, isn't Denmark, um, am I mixing this up with Holland? So residential homes in North America, we just put a furnace in and blow hot and cold air at people. It's like the bottom of the barrel, right? <laughs> barbaric. We're not even on radiant, which the Romans handled 2,000 years ago, <laughs> right? I thought it was Denmark, but it might be based on Holland. They have a lot of district systems yeah. using waste heat energy and then pumping that out, and then there's a heat exchanger in every house. Is exactly. that what you have there? Exactly. We also have that at the airport. So right. there's a lot of district heating around uh, whole Denmark. Oh, that's good, because I'm a big fan of that. The, that. I mean, the scale and yeah. the efficiencies you can drive off that are amazing, yeah. particularly with an airport, right? It's a massive heat sink and a heat suck. It is. <laughs> to it be is. honest. Yeah. <laughs> But then, you know, you start putting on, like, I don't know, a hotel onto that, and then an airport and residential, they can sort of, like, offset each other, right? Yeah, they could. But we are doing a great job in, in, in doing the testing and balancing and commissioning, <laughs> so no problem afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to come back to this, because there's an interesting story there. But just a sidebar in the commissioning, and I... Adam, you'll remember this, uh, Robert Pettijan. And we talk about Robert Pettijan from uh, Tour and Anderson lots because we both studied his, yeah. his work. But he always said, you know, there's no point in doing the calculations at the engineering office if you're not prepared to verify it in the field. Yes. You know, and that's what balancing was all about, you know, is going out and just verifying that the flows, air, water, whatever it was, electrical flow, was as per what was designed. And when I think about energy at the airport, because you have all kinds of demands, heated water, cooled water, all different types of voltages, average loads must be massive there. And the whole commissioning process. And then what does it take to commission the Copenhagen airport in a, like what happens in a day? Tell our, tell our audience what happens a day of your life at the airport. Yeah. We had one of our large construction projects the new PAE 
I think we had around 500 different uh, systems to commissioning. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. we had like two months to, to do it all. <laughs> Sounds uh, good. So like <laughs> every time. But due to commissioning, we had two months instead of one week. So, so some good. Yeah. <laughs> and then when we have to do a commissioning test for ventilation plan, starting at the day, I have to verify that we have all the functional descriptions, that the BMS is updated with the latest screen dumps of the system, that I have received the pre-test documentation. That's something like a commissioning test as a system yeah. integration test, which the consultant and contractor have done together, has been fulfilled and uploaded to us. And after that, I am calling one of our technicians from our BMS office and then the technician and me and the contractor and one from construction management is going out to this ventilation plant and starting the full-scale test of it. So the visual inspection, functional test, the system integration test with our fire safety systems, yeah. the manual override from operational center, all that kind. We do all this in, in the software CX planner. So after that, we just punch a button and we have a PDF report of the test documenting all the inputs from, from the individual parties. And if there were any faults, it would be sent back to our construction manager on the project who will then give out the report and faults to the individuals, to the individual subcontractors who needs to do some changes. So that would be some part of the day with a test. Yeah. yeah so you, you know, so for our guests, I guess, sorry, I'll just shut up here in a second, but... Uh-huh. I'm fascinated by the continuum that you live on and how there's this macro component of energy, global energy systems, sustainability, reducing carbonization. All of these things have to be on your radar screen. And you work all the way down into the micro systems, looking at the small little loads and making sure that switches activate when they're supposed to activate. You know, I think if I was getting out of high school and looking at a career and I like the sciences and I like to see things work and I had somewhere in my heart a passion for global sustainability and environmental issues, I can't think of another career than commissioning that would hit all of the buttons. Adam, where do you sit on that? I agree. The problem is people think commissioners, oh, there's a bit of equipment, I turn it on, two checklists, thank you very much and goodbye. It's not that. It's the integration side, right? So take the Ohana unit you were just talking about. How many systems does that touch? The heating system, the cooling system, control system, fire system, BMS system, and then the subsets of that, the balancing. It's the testing of how that all works as an integrated whole, right? It's a systems approach, and I mean that in the Professor Checkland way where everything's a system, right? Earth is a system which is in a system called the solar system, which is in a system called the universe, right? The system is only about where you draw a barrier, right? One of the real problems in North America is that barrier is drawn around the equipment, right? So commissioning pretty much on mid-level, low-level jobs in North America goes like this. A crane comes in and goes, rooftop unit. Electrician comes in half a day, Puts the power on, gas fit, it comes with gas on. Some dude comes in with a check sheet and a nice haircut goes, done, out. <laughs> <laughs> that is so not commissioning. <laughs> that's oh. barely even started, right? But yeah. to the lay person, that's what commissioning is, right? And this is why it's a bit, it's not cult, but it's a bit, it's a subset of a subset of a niche, right? But it warms my heart that someone like 
a big organization like Copenhagen Airport see the value of having a team to do that, right? Because if you want a building to run perpetually well, you have to perpetually run it well. <laughs> and you have to tune everything because there's yeah. everything starts, you know, here's a new air handling unit system. And there's always a degradation over time because things deteriorate time, right? And the goal of continuous commissioning is to keep that line flat rather than do that, right? And that takes effort and specialist expertise. You're not phoning that in with software, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> You're phoning that in with deep knowledge and expertise, and that expertise is at a systems level. This is why all good commissioning teams are multidisciplined, right? Mm. And, you know, the controls guy, keep that dude happy. Do not let him leave. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that is, that's a million-dollar uh, word statement right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like they, they're the wizards, right? they got the voodoo. They know how to make black box. Yeah, it's all Harry Potter stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, sometimes I go to. You got the book and the magic wand, you know? <laughs> I've been to some startup meetings, and the jobs, you know you get that you've heard the job's bad, the designer's left, they're on, like, the fifth designer who doesn't know what happened, the contractor's lost money, and they look at you like you're going to sprinkle dust over the drawings. And everything's going to be like, magic, right? And my answer to that is, if it is designed wrong and constructed wrong, it is wrong, but what I'm going to do is tell you what is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that, so Thomas, you know, I, mean, I mean, your day is never the same. I mean, there's probably no. some things, but for the most part, I've got to be thinking 80% of your day is unique challenges. A big part of your job, besides the technical side, is also the human factor side, the ability to communicate and get along with people. Is that come intuitively to you, or have you taken courses on managing people, managing your own response to people? I think there's two parts in, in the managing. I do have a team which I'm managing, but the other part is managing the commissioning process because there's also some part of managing and doing some leadership. Yeah, when we have to do the test, involve the designer in, in our review, we also do have a lot of different parties. And when you are assigned as the commissioning leader, you do also lead this process. And instead of leading a process where I say, now it's this way because our standard says this, I need to get people to feel that commissioning is a support process because mm -hmm. essentially commissioning is there to help the designer and help the contractor. We just need to make them see it also as a help. So there's a lot of people management in getting the same perspective on the commissioning process. And getting that same perspective does also get the engagement and involvement in the commissioning process. Because when I have to do a system integration test, well, I can stand there with my control guy, but it's best when also the subcontractor for the fire system and for the ventilation plant all are there and they want to participate because they know that commissioning is good for them. And even though commissioning is more normal in Denmark now, it does not mean that everyone knows what it is and wants to participate. So it's still the people management in that kind. Actually, I think it's my education as an electrician and working at the construction sites, being the guy who is doing the terminations and being on site. That kind of knowledge and has tried it is giving me a, a, a big plus when I'm doing this management in the commissioning process. You just said the magic bullet there, right there. Yeah. You know? That's one thing to come from high above, you know, I'm the authority, Arr! and, you know, you're going to do what I say. 
as opposed to, hey, I've been here. I've done this. I know exactly what you're going through, and we're going to make this work together, right? Yeah, I mean, the value of what you just said there is leading the commissioning team is like leading the tribe back in the days when you were fighting the Romans, right? And now and again, the king had to kill someone to show people he could do it. And now and again, the commission leader has to show their technical chops, right? Has to show yeah. they know how to wire something up, how to make this control sequence work, how this works, right? There is an element of leadership that has to be reinforced by your ability. Yeah. I'm a big fan of soft skills and being able to, for me, the definition of a leader is someone who can motivate, manage, and lead people who are smarter than them, right? Certainly for a commissioning job, you have to do that. But there's also an element in commissioning where you have to have some skill. You've got to bring something to the table, right? Yeah. Just to provide your bona fides. I I also do think that most of our subcontractors, they are specialists. They are pretty good at their stuff. And we just need them to do the combination and the joint venture with all the other subcontractors. So to enhance them the ventilation contractor. He's good at ventilation plans. We need to enhance and, and show him how to do it with the, the BMS contractor. Being that integration part, playing them good. You've identified the key yeah. issue in managing a commissioning team, which is like the controls person in and of themselves are very skilled, very capable people, right? But they're in a silo and you've got to get them working with the other people and the other people, you'll get them all up to the systems level and get them out of the silo at the equipment level, right? That's the definition of commissioning management and delivering a big, highly serviced, complex job like hospital, an airport, a lab, you know, that's the secret source. You can get away with standing in your silo if you're doing a hotel because, frankly, no one cares about a hotel, right? Nobody cares about a hotel, literally nobody. Not even the people who stay in it care because they're gone <laughs> a day or two, right? It's literally the bottom of the food chain hotel, but a lab, an airport where there's life safety issues and consequences for bad work, that's where it really matters. <laughs> but I want to talk about, so for our, our listeners and viewers on YouTube, <laughs> yeah, not only is Thomas handsome and capable, he has more strings to his bow, right? Who wakes up and says, you know what? Not only am I commissioning the airport projects and leading the team, I'm also going to write a book and create a software product as well. Who says that? <laughs> Tom is dead. Give us a story of that. How did yeah. the book and the software evolve out of that? When I started to work with commissioning, I was eager to read more and learn more about commissioning. There was not much reading material in Danish. So the baseline to read was the ASHRAE guidelines and English stuff. So when I began to, to get a grip on how to do the commissioning, I thought, well, I need to share this knowledge with other in Denmark who's interested in commissioning. So back in, that must be six years ago, I started to write a book. I thought I, I was going to write a book because after writing and writing and then showing this, these pieces of paper, clearly it was not a book. So it became a website, a Danish small Wikipedia about commissioning cxwiki.dk. So more like, what is commissioning? There's some info. What is the commissioning plan? Some info. But, well, ever since that, I always had the feeling that I wanted to write a book about commissioning. And besides that feeling, we also need something in Denmark to brand commissioning. Getting more normal, but we don't have a Danish standard for it. And it's not everyone who's going to read the standard 
and going into paragraph eight and reading this process description. <laughs> we needed something to communicate. We needed something to enable the, the students on our technical uh, educations to have an easy way to learn more about commissioning. Commissioning needs to be the normal in Denmark. Then there also needs to be other than Thomas doing commissioning in Denmark. So it was also in a thought that maybe if I write a book, I can help to show that commissioning is for everyone in Denmark and not just the guys reading a Danish standard, the standard or ASRAE guideline. So that was the starting. And then must be a year ago, a little more than a year, that I finished writing the standard guide till commissioning in praxis. Guide for commissioning in, in praxis is a guide going through all the commissioning activities described in the Danish standard, ASRAE standard 202, ASRAE guideline zero, and then my, my own experience with additions to these standards and guidelines, but described in, in a practical way. So everything goes through, why are you doing this? And who should help you do it? And then it's providing you with the tools. These are the tools. Either use a, a spreadsheet or use Thomas's software or use another tool. It doesn't matter what tool you use. It just needs to fit you and you can do it in these ways. So it should be like not read from, from page one to, to the end, but you can, you can look up. Now I have to, to, to develop the, the owner's project requirements. How can I do this? Are there any ideas for me here? That's it. Hold that up. Yeah. Hold that up. Yeah. There you go. I shall put a link to this on. So everyone listening, there'll be links in the show notes to the wiki and to the book and everything else. So the big question is, because I think a lot of our listeners are English speaking listeners. Are you going to do a version in English? It's coming. It's coming. Yes. I'm in, in the process of translating the Danish book. There are some parts which need some more work, especially the parts about the, the contract sections and how you perform the project phases. They need to be adjusted to be more, more general so they yeah. can use other places than Denmark. So in the process, 80% done. More so when it's done, let us know. We'll do what we can to put the message out. The Edifice Complex will continue in just a moment. Adam, it's time to thank some people who are on our side. Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software. Blue Rhythm is the commissioning software I've been looking for. Most projects I consult on suffer from poor information and document management. Frankly, it's just chaos out there. Blue Rhythm removes this chaos. It is a secure, always available cloud solution designed to work on any computer, tablet, or smartphone. Their Android and iOS apps allow seamless transition between online and offline work. But what I like most about Blue Rhythm is their painless and fast onboarding process. That team will bring all your existing forms and checklists into Blue Rhythm for you, or you can use or adapt their pre-built, pre-functional and functional performance test sheet templates. But it's more than that. It enables collaboration, automation, and easy planning and project management for all your projects. Blue Rhythm provides amazing support from a team that really understands your industry. To find out more, go to bluerhythm.com or call country code plus one, six one two, 460-8305. Also, you can hear from Blue Rhythm President Andy Martin on episode 26 of the Edifice Complex podcast. Robert, Robert, we there yet? I'm bored. <laughs> Adam, well, it's hard to believe, but the future is finally arrived in Canada. How's that then? 
Wow, smart remote building and equipment management is now available from Sensor Suite. Go on. Sensor Suite, yep. They're an innovator in smart building technology. We like them. They can monitor, control, and optimize anything in your building, saving you time and energy. You mean Sensor Suite are moving Canadian buildings into the 21st century? Yeah, I know. Another hard thing to believe, but they're doing it and they're saving owners money with efficiency gains. Okay, I'm in. How do I find out more? Got to go to sensorsuite.com or call 1-855-773-6767. And also check out the July 2020 episode of the NFS Complex podcast and listen to Sensor Suite CEO Glenn Spry. And now back to the show. So what about the software side? Because I'm sort of halfway through a book myself and that's hard enough. But getting software developed, I had a business that did some of that on the side. My goodness, that was hard work. How was that? <laughs> I always been in love with developing software. Started right. uh, 17 years ago on my, on my dad's computer, developing some visual basic. And then I've always been doing some kind of developing. And six years ago, five years ago, I had to manage too many commissioning projects at the same time in my spreadsheet. So it was not fun anymore to do the managing part because everyone would get a copy of my commissioning log in the spreadsheet. And everyone would send me back their comments and I have to merge everything and I didn't know the status or what was deleted. And so too much work in managing my, my projects. And that was the start in, in the development of CX Planner. So it started out as my, as my own tool to how to manage the commissioning process. So more like an online commissioning log. And then it just gives my spare time to develop on it. And now it's a, it's a full-blown commissioning software and construction management software, which we actually use for all our commissioning projects at the airport. So yeah, Netflix are developing commissioning software. <laughs> Kids, are you listening to this? <laughs> Turn off the TV. <laughs> Just to recap then, electrician, energy manager, commissioning manager, author, software developer. Exactly. <laughs> Boom. Mic drop. <laughs> Thomas. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because when I mean, you talk to kids today who are like, you know, between 11 and 14 and they all want to be gamers, you know, they're going to make a living being a gamer like the other billion 11 to 14 year olds. Yeah. Good there's Thomas. <laughs> I think there are some similarities between the, the commissioning and the software development. Both things is a lot of building blocks and you need to fit those blocks together. And the computer is just telling you more fast that if you mix these two blocks, everything is going wrong. The building can take some more time. But it is mixing the blocks and putting them right together. And I love doing that with the software when it's dark outside and then at day doing with, with, <laughs> with a heating plant and, and how should these uh, things be mixed together. I think yeah, for are you. you are you Denmark's top nerd? I think you are. You might be more nerd <laughs> than I am. <laughs> In some part, a nerd, yeah. Uh, hey, just out of curiosity, do you do any work at all with the Danish Technical University, DTU? I have research projects. Um, nope. I gotta be thinking. I mean, there's so many students that are studying various aspects of architecture and energy and mm. environmental systems, energy systems that. There seems to be would be a nice partnership with DTU and the airport. Absolutely. We have had some collaboration with DTU and I've also been helping some, some students. But in clean commissioning study, when we're talking about that in Denmark, we're referring back to a, to a study which is 
five or eight years old. While Rune Owen Augustsen, who compared two building large construction projects, one with commissioning and one without commissioning. And the one with commissioning was using 42% less energy and also less <laughs> water and, and everything. So, so a great project. And I and the rest of the commissioning community in Denmark has been pushing for more of these research, more of these cost-benefit cases. But doing a, a cost-benefit case over commissioning is just tough. Because if Thomas didn't found this error, then maybe the contractor found it, or maybe the designer on his final inspection, who is going to get that benefit? Yeah. You know, and again, I mean, my area of expertise is in indoor environmental quality systems. And, you know, so in Europe, it would be uh, ISO 7730, I think it is, or 12250 is one of the standards. So in the process of commissioning and reducing energy costs, did they look at any consequences on the indoor environmental systems in terms of post-occupancy surveys? Did they do that, you know? So when you looked at, was it 40% reduction in energy? Was anything oh. sacrificed in the indoor environment in terms of lighting, air quality, sound, vibration, any of that stuff? I don't know that. Yeah. Maybe they just turn the lights off and turn the fans <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's always my question, you know. So when we're reducing energy costs, what are the consequences? Yeah. Because there is some, and I think every commissioning project should be done within the environmental standards that the building has been designed to, you know, you can't separate the two. And we know that in some lead buildings, for example, that the energy costs actually increased, which was a response to the discomfort that was created by the architecture and the electromechanical system. So that's just like a, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Right. So you know, I mean, energy and indoor environmental quality, you can't separate the two. And I'm always interested when I hear energy reductions, what the consequences were of that. Sure. Yeah. So I'm sympathetic to what Robert said there because I did a job in Toronto where we got called in, you know, recommissioned it so we can get the energy down. So we found all the VAV systems with the fresh air damper shut. So I set it all up for correct fresh air and the energy went up, right? Shocker. And then I got fired. so for delivering the prescribed building code fresh air requirement i lost the contract right awesome that's everything you need to know about buildings in toronto is in there the answer to that is monitoring right so if you and your team are in pretty much a perfect position to if you Use dashboards and KPIs and monitored indoor air quality, CO2, outside air consumption, and then just over a period of time, a year, two years, three or five, and worked out if you were bringing energy down while maintaining mm. benchmarks, right? Because that's what Robert's talking about. You've got to be able to yeah. claim a win, a clean win. You've got to reduce energy and maintain benchmarks, right? And someone in your position is it, probably in the ideal position to run that experiment, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> we are looking into doing some kind of monitoring-based commissioning. Yeah. But then we're starting to do the integration of different systems. We do have yeah. our BMS system, and then we have our energy logging system. And all the different factors. At a gate, if you're going to test a gate, then at uh, every 10 minutes, the door is opening due to passengers going in and out. Yeah. 
is that the same frequency the next day when we're going to measure it? There's so many different factors, which is hard. It's more easy yeah, when you we're could doing normalize for that over time, right? Yeah, over time you could some kind. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I don't know. It's just a thought because yeah. my view is we're moving to a world of evidence-based performance. Because the cost of monitoring CO2, temperature, humidity is falling and falling. Yeah. And the ability to collect that data is becoming so easy now. So even if you don't want to do it, I think this data is going to start getting collected automatically anyway. At some point, someone's going to use that data to make some decisions, right? And that's when things will get really interesting. And people will lose their jobs at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why I was asking you if you had any relationship with DTU because... You know, on the global scale of research universities, like they're at the top. Their ability to do research work and synthesize it into something that's practical. They've been fabulous, you know, for decades. You know, we had uh, Dr. Peter Simmons on a couple of times when both Adam and I enjoy him. And he, one of his projects was the Bangkok Airport. And I remember him telling me the story that, you know, the architectural systems were really tested when a jet would pull up to the gate or back away from the gate and the fabric on the Bangkok airport, it is a fabric. It's a highly engineered polymer with a mix of glass. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with the airport, but it's got terrible sound attenuating qualities. They built the test rig and they, but these are things that they discovered during the engineering construction process. I mean, that airport took a lot many years to build, but you know, in trying to create attractive architecture and manage energy and then but then ultimately they had ignored the sound component had that continued on that path the passengers would have found the airport incredibly stressful you know to be sitting in a lounge relaxing for your next flight only to be subjected to the sound (laughs) totally like everything goes hand in hand you can't ignore as i said earlier Yeah. But that's the system aspect, right? That building is a system. Yes. And part yeah. of that system is noise abatement. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that, again, uh, you would, when you're working with people designing, like the hotel, for example, I mean, sound would be an issue. It would be interesting to see the architectural solutions that they've done there to deal with the sound. Copenhagen's not like, I mean, it's not like uh, New York or, you know, San Francisco or San Diego. <laughs> you know, that area. Nice. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's much nicer. <laughs> but sound would be a concern for that uh, sure. location. Just on sustainability in general, I'm not a big fan of LEED, but is LEED or Brienne followed in Denmark? I mean, is that considered a high status thing if your building is LEED certified? I have done a couple of LEED projects, but it's mainly DGNB. I've only been bidding on one Brian project and never seen it else in Denmark. So it's DGNB, which people are using. It's DGNB. It's interesting because whenever someone says, I have a high-performance building, I have a sustainable building, the word that jumps in my mind is, how is it sustainable? Right? Yeah. Is it because it's lead platinum or Brian, whatever, or excellent? Yeah. Whilst I don't like lead very much, it is a way of saying something, right? Lead platinum says something. Mm. I'm not quite sure what, to be honest, but it says something, right? <laughs> you know, but it is a benchmark, and this is one of the problems. If I was king of the world, one of the things I would do is 
benchmarking building performance for energy, make that an open source project everywhere. So then all of a sudden, every airport could be benchmarked against every other airport, right? Yeah. yeah, that's like the energy style concept, right? It's so good because the longer that goes on, the more data in it, and then you can compare building types, and that's how you benchmark and get things moving down, right? Yeah. A, a massive open source data project, this implies cooperation. You know, on the construction site, that's almost like an oxymoron. But It's a good idea. I'm a big fan of open source. So when Margaret Thatcher in the UK privatized a lot of, public utilities like water and the pushback was how do we know they're going to keep the water clean and her answer was we're going to make it law that they test that water every week and publish it on a public database then some nerd will always go in there and check that right and then you get this accountability and this like whistleblowing thing going so massive open source data collection is something there's some way to advocate that you need some someone like ashray with the worldwide heft and communication channels to push that out, that would be awesome. But then it would need people like Copenhagen Airport to opt in and say that we'll share our data, you know. I'm full of good ideas. None of them work at all. So, Alan, we're sort of getting to the end, and I still have a ton of questions for Thomas. We're going to have to get him back. (laughs) We'll have to keep back when you drop the book. We always wrap up with some rapid-fire questions. My first rapid-fire question is, Thomas, if you were the chairman of the World Airport Authority dealing with COVID, what's your advice to your members sitting around the table right now and dealing with this pandemic? That's a million dollar question. I don't have any answer for that. Use commissioning, but that's not the solution. <laughs> But I mean, you're dealing with, I mean, the air quality systems, and I appreciate your answer, actually. It's a multidimensional answer because you're dealing with people and their own hygiene within their control, you know, the ability to mask up and stay away from people. But you're also dealing with the facilities themselves in terms of ventilation rates and filtration and and this type of stuff. Maybe I'll narrow the question down a little bit. If Copenhagen Airport had any advice for other airports in terms of dealing with air quality systems, what would it be? Monitor. Change your filter. Monitor. Uh, that's good. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Maintenance is the sort of like redheaded stepchild that no one wants to talk about, right? <laughs> no one. Changing your filters regularly with proper bag filters at the proper MERV rating is a game changer for most buildings, right? <laughs> The fact that you have to say that out loud is just <laughs> ridiculous, right? <laughs> okay, so my question is, I'm quite inspired by your journey from what we would call a journeyman craftsman to leading what you're leading. So you know, if you were giving some commencement advice, you're wrapping up your speech, you're at the Copenhagen Technical College, there's all these young faces staring at you and their phones, and... <laughs> <laughs> you're wrapping up your speech and you want to wake them up and you, what life advice would you give them? Construction is fun. Construction is people and people are fun and mm. people combined with technology are even better. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, good. I love that. This is what people miss. Construction is something like 10% of most economies, right? And there are so many jobs and do in construction and property development and design 
there's a place for everybody, really, if you want it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can have a great career and a great life in that field. You're a great example of that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. All right, man. So look, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's really good. I love it when we go across oceans and speak to people in other cultures and countries. You realize we're all struggling with the same stuff ultimately, right? <laughs> yeah, and hopefully someday when air travel uh, permits, we'll fly into Copenhagen and we can meet for a beer. That yeah. sounds great. Oh, uh, Adam, we're going to get Thomas back, you know, because A, when he gets his English version of the guide out, but also things will have changed the next time we interview him. In fact, you know, we should, I mean, we love getting our guests back and we'll make arrangements yeah. to get many of them back because I would like to get Professor Roland Cliff back. I'd like to hear his views on the world be right now. I thought yeah. about him the other day, actually, because I just love that episode, the ethics, you know, it just brings up so many questions. Yeah, right? totally, yeah. But Thomas, you know, he brings a lot to the conversation in terms of commissioning and other than a hospital, maybe a really large-scale research campus, you know, airport's got to be... Like, well, he was saying 500 systems and get that commissioned in, in two months in one of the yeah. projects. I mean, you think about that, 500 systems. And I don't have any experience with airports, but I just, you know, some mental math, 500 systems, two months, you're going to be dealing with probably 30 to 40 people ultimately oh, down yeah. the chain. That's pretty tough going. Things have to go right for that to happen. But so I've done two big airports. Back then I did Riyadh Airport and most recently was uh, JFK so JFK was 1.5 million square foot. It was a billion dollars. It was the largest construction job on the East Coast at the time. It was just mad. It used to take you like an hour to walk from one end to the other. And back, you know what I mean? It was just enormous. And it was late, but it was just huge, the scale of it. Yeah. You know, it's just not only complexity with airports, <clears throat> but size. And then consequences, because like the governor was going to open it and the mayor's going to be there. And there's a flight coming in. I was literally testing. So things were behind and we decided, okay, let's just get life safety done and we'll just do the rest when the airport's open. And I was literally testing the sprinkler system right in the last few valves, <laughs> two hours before the first plane came in. <laughs> that building was signed off like an hour before everyone started arriving and cutting ribbons. That's the reason of least, but operationally, what they're doing at Copenhagen Airport was really interesting because you're with the asset for 25 to 50 years, right? So you have a choice. I run it into the ground and do emergency maintenance or I keep it running optimally. Those are the two choices, really, right? right and they seem yeah. to be going with B, which is run it optimally and keep it going, keep it going nice, right? Whereas yeah. a lot of it, uh, I suppose LaGuardia is probably the worst example of that, where it's just running the ground on an emergency maintenance basis, right? It's interesting. I think culturally it's going to become unacceptable to do emergency maintenance only on big public buildings like that, where people go through health and safety issues. Now we've got COVID and people are aware of ventilation issues. The Overton window and the culture is going to shift towards more emphasis on better indoor air quality, better quality of design solution for ventilation, right? You know, yeah. More dedicated outside air systems with heat recovery, I think will be a consequence of all this. So, there's not many good sides to a pandemic, but that might be one of them, right? Yeah. I wish we had had more time. Well, again, we'll get them back. And, because there's an economic challenge for them right now with the number of travelers down. And I think he said before, the, before we started interviewing him that the numbers at the Copenhagen airport were down to levels from 1947. 
Is that, is that <laughs> right? Develop right, right? That's no jet planes. <laughs> right. So people need to understand that. So so you've got a relatively modern airport where they've you know been implemented commissioning in the last six, seven years. That requires a certain amount of revenue, which comes from travelers coming through in part. And with those numbers down, what is the economic story that they're facing? And that has to drive the Danes crazy, like it would drive any culture that was really concerned about quality and sustainability. But the Danes in particular, you know, sustainability, earth stewardship is dear to their heart. They're leaders in it. There's no doubt about it. We have a lot to learn from their culture. But having these economic challenges, they're also, you know, having to deal with that like everybody else. And I would have liked to talk to Thomas about that, the impact is on that. He, um, like a lot of our guests, have an interesting story. One of the things I like about the guests that we bring on is what it does to your brain, actually, Adam. You come up with some pretty good observations and some good analogies and metaphors. One of the ones that you stated had to do with, you know, traveling down a river and sitting there and being, you know, a victim of wherever the water takes you. Or you can participate in your river journey and, you know, try to do the rapids, take the rough turns, get some experience, you know, and you'll come out a better person for it. I thought that that's a, a metaphor that I'll use. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a believer in accepting fate. You should fight to the death to change your fate in life, yeah. right? Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> so I, I'm with you totally. And, uh, you know, so, but the discussing Thomas's journey, you know, as an electrician and then, well, there's more to this story than just, you know, hooking stuff up. And there's all of the other things around it. You know, where's that power coming from? And how does that affect Earth systems? And, yeah. you know, so the guy says, okay, well, I'm going to go to school and, you know, starts to learn about energy systems and commissioning, gets his few jobs under his belt with some engineering companies working for some big clients. Those are some big names, you know, people, maybe I butchered the pronunciation that people don't recognize it, but, you know, several of those are big companies and you get that under your belt and now all of a sudden he's writing about it because that's his passion. He found his passion, writes about it, shared He found his niche. And like he said, commissioning found him, you know, the airport found him from his, from his passions and good on that for for doing that. I'll tell you what, he's the sort of guest I, I always want on because when you're young and in college, you don't really know what you want to do other than maybe get a date with that hot girl across the desk, right? <laughs> so, you know, he's a role model for someone who can say, yeah, that is possible for me. I'm here, he was here, he's doing that. That is completely possible for me, right? Because to sometimes believe something's possible, you've got to see it, Right. Yeah, and that's what that is. He's a winner, right? He's what the uh, special, the SAS, which is the UK version of the Green Berets. Yeah, yeah. But someone there was an interview on TV, and they asked the commanding officer, "said What are you looking for?" He says, "I want a person I can parachute naked into a town in the morning. By lunchtime they're fed and clothed, and by the evening they're running everything." <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a winner, right? And yeah. Thomas is like that, right? He's yeah. When you're young, you're apprentice electrician, you don't know what you do, but he found a way and he sort of zigzagged into this thing. And he's yeah. a published author, he's published software, he's running a massive fucking building and projection team, right? Yeah. There's nothing not to like there. <laughs> that is inspiration. Yeah. And of course, when you're talking to him, you know, he's a, he comes across as a really humble, solid guy. Because I asked him the question, the soft, well, you brought it up, the soft skills, yeah. you know, but what it's like, I mean, because there's the mechanics of commissioning, but then there's the people side of it. And, you know, I could see, you know, him in the field leading a team, 
doing the stuff because you're a fan of Jocko, I think, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I love Jocko. He's hilarious. Yeah, right. And I think, I can't remember if it was Jocko that said it, but it was one of somebody from the Navy SEALs or maybe it was one of the other business books that I read a long time ago. And I said, you know, a true leader would never ask anybody to do something that they're not prepared to do themselves. Yeah. Right? And so you get a lot of people who, you know, are in leadership roles, but they're not leaders, right? They demand authority rather than earn it. But Thomas seems like he's the kind of guy that, you know what, I would never ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself because he would do it. You know, you see, you get that sense, right? And, and that would, I think, be attractive to somebody that's working with him. You know? you know, I loved his answer as well at the end about construction being fun. Can be, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not all freaking grind and bump, right? It can be fun <laughs> and you should have a good time and you should have a joke now and again. And yes, sometimes it's very serious, right? Yeah. But it's not all serious. It can be fun. And that's something I think which is really underrated. If you're in construction and design and production of property, you have opportunities to meet loads of interesting people, travel do things differently on every job. Yeah. You know? It's a, such an undersold profession and career, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's because we've not got many. You, we need a Conor McGregor to go around and like, uh, <laughs> this is what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Totally. yeah that's, that's my take anyway. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm hoping we're doing here is providing examples like Thomas that people can go, you know, I can do that. I'm going to try and be that. Or I'm going to be better than that, you know. That's yeah. really one of the side effects I'm looking for here because that wasn't there for me. I just stumbled blindly and luckily into my career. It's zero planning. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. zero. And what I like about guys like Thomas, and of course we've seen many of them on our podcast, and, and to some degree you and I sort of represent that same personality, is that we're willing to put what we know out there and put it on the line and have it tested and not be afraid of the criticism that comes back, you know? And that happens at all kinds of scales, you know? Where you have individuals like Emily, for example, you know, that puts everything out there on the line and making a stand on it. Or you get, you know, where she's dealing with, you know, residential buildings. Or you get guys like Thomas, who's dealing with the Copenhagen Airport. Or you get guys like Peter Simmons, who's working on some of the biggest buildings around the world. But they're not afraid to put it out there, Yeah, you know? They will put it out there. Yeah. You know, that's a huge lesson for people listening. You know, they, the students on the line here and listening is that, you know, you can spend your whole life sitting in the shadows of others and be a sniper, you know, in the stands, criticizing what everybody else is doing and not provide solutions, not anybody, let anybody know what you're doing or get on the damn field and get your knees bloody, you know, bang it up, right? Get in there in the scrum and shake it up and put everything that you know on the line and share that. And I'll tell you what, the world has way more respect for those kinds of individuals than anybody else, you know? Life is a participation sport, right? You have to. There's <laughs> no two ways about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I always love the story when you read some of the obituaries in the paper of a life well lived, you know? He went there, he didn't die, he got this, he did that, you know, and he's gone, right? But that is a life well lived. You Sometimes you read it and think, that was a life well lived, right? Yeah. You know, totally. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's funny when I look back at my own career, which I'm still enjoying it from a retired position, but, yeah. 
you know, I've been in fires in Santa Rosa. We had to evacuate. I was supposed to be in the World Trade Towers the morning of September 11th. I was caught in a hurricane out of the East Coast. I was in a tornado in Edmonton. I was in floods here. And I've had a lot of close calls. I almost got my hand took off once on a trip. We were, I got into an airport and we were driving to another location. Dennis Woods was my driver. Uh, we were on the way to a bigger call. And good on him. He caught in the corner of his eye a rock that was flying out from the back of a, a big truck that was headed for my head. It was a multi-lane highway. In a split second, he swerved. The rock hit the window, shattered. On, we're doing like 100 miles an hour, you know, because Dennis likes to drive fast. That thing exploded beside my head. We pull over. A bunch of cars pulled in behind us to make sure that we were okay, right? You know, when you get out there, shit happens. But, you know, you live to survive it, and you learn live to tell about it, and you become very grateful for the experiences and the journeys. And you've had, I mean, yeah, I can't imagine all the journeys – yeah. yeah. I bet your dinner that evening felt and tasted great, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. After every episode like that, they all do, you know, like, whew, I got out of that one. I can't believe awesome. it, you know? Awesome, man. All right, well, look, let's wrap it up there. So that was another great one. I'm looking forward to publishing that. You know, I can't, you know, we've been, I mean, for our listeners, I mean, this was Adam's brainchild. He just brought me along on his journey. I'm grateful for that because we've, We've talked to some pretty interesting people. We're always looking for interesting guests. So again, yeah. you know, we put that out there. Anybody that's listening, if you've got somebody that's willing to jump out of a plane, change the world, shake it up, get in the scrum, not be afraid of where they take a stand. We want to talk to them. Yeah, damn right. Story to tell. Yeah. <laughs> All right, see you in the next one. All right, Adam. Take care. You've been listening to the Edifice Complex podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time.